Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Move Nourished podcast, where we discuss nutritious eating, functional movement, and herbal medicine to help you move, eat, and live better. I'm Alyssa. And I'm Forrest. We're clinical herbalists, movement coaches, and wellness nerds. Let's get started. So meal planning is a big thing in fitness pursuits, and it's something that can be a double-edged sword. And I know, Alyssa, you have a lot of experience both ways with how to optimize the meal planning strategy and with some things that you've learned through doing that process. Yeah. So I have been, so the nutrition part of my wellness journey started before just about anything else. So back in undergrad, I've been meal planning. I was vegan for a couple of years. I was paleo for a couple of years, then became, you know, professional and then a coach. So I've been meal planning for myself for well over a decade. And then also in the last five years, meal planning with the clients with variety of dietary needs. And the biggest thing that I wish people knew is that the best meal planning strategy is the one that you'll actually stick to. (laughs) I've seen a lot of different strategies over the years. I've seen people, some people are like, you should do it a month in advance. And some people are like, no, that's not good. And some people are like, you should freeze it. And you should, you have to have special containers. And I have pretty much seen it all. And I, I feel like what that has taught me is that the best one for you is the one that you'll actually stick to, whatever that looks like. And I think it's also important to say that No matter what strategy you use, cooking your meals, always going to be a step up over like restaurant or takeout or prepped food from a nutritional standpoint. And also from a taste standpoint, a lot of times too, that's a a Michael Pollan vibe where like that, that's something that I learned from one of his books is if one of his food rules, I think is if you want sweets, you can have as many as you want as long as you bake them yourself. <laughs> You're, and that's like a, a funny example. Home-cooked food is going to have fewer preservatives. What's in it? The, the sodium levels are more manageable. All of these things are going to be in your favor. So, And you can even modify them based on the needs of the meal plan that you're on. Totally. And for your taste, like you don't have to put anything in there that you don't like. You don't like mm. mushrooms. Don't ever eat mushrooms. Like that's fine. So I think that's, you know, really important to just set the tone and say, I've learned a lot of lessons and these are some lessons that I've learned, but take what works for you, leave the rest, do whatever version of meal planning and meal prep works for you. Yeah. So another tidbit that has risen to the top, something that took me several years to learn is that further in advance is not necessarily better than a couple of days at a time. So I am a person, I, I came up working in restaurants and that leaves you being a little bit of a food snob. So I get palate fatigue pretty easily and I like to Mm -hmm. eat different stuff. I don't like to eat the same thing for more than a couple days at a time. I get uninterested in it and I just, I just, eh. so to keep things interesting while also keeping them within my parameters of the way I want to eat for my health, we do a couple days at a time. And I say that we prep a couple days at a time because I think it's also, I'm using these terms interchangeably. Right. Using the term meal planning and meal prep interchangeably, right? But there's the planning and then there's the preparing and you can separate them out, but lump them together. But so, for example, we plan our meals a week at a time, but then I prep them every couple of days so that I can get a little bit of variety and not eat the same thing for the whole week. As opposed to prepping them and putting them in the freezer for a week or two weeks is sometimes recommended. Yeah. And if that works for you, great. I just have not had great experience with wanting to Mm -hmm. eat those meals once I saw them out because I must not. You get palate fatigue. I know I've also encountered clients that they, and and myself, (laughs) where it's a lot of work that goes into prepping for two weeks. Mm -hmm. And so 
it's really easy to completely fall off the house of cards of your meal plan by like not having the bandwidth to Saturday afternoon or whenever you've scheduled to spend five hours making two weeks worth of food that doesn't happen. And then you're in trouble. Yeah. And then it's go big or go home, but it's what if you miss? It's yeah. Scaffolding it for people also makes it easier. So I I found a week at a time works really well in planning it and then shopping for it about a week at a time. Most people are on the Monday to Friday and then a weekend schedule. Not everybody, but like our world tends to operate around that schedule. So that tends to work. But again, longer, I've seen longer work for people. I've seen shorter work for people. Some people want to go to the grocery store every couple of It helps them to go to the grocery store multiple times a week. So do what works for you and just there is going to be a period with any meal planning or meal prep strategy of guess and test or of trial and error. And one other thing I would like people to be okay with is just to be okay with that, right? One thing I'd like them to walk away with is just to be okay with that. So the next gem that has risen to the top from all my 10 meal planning is I have found the most success building my meal ideas around the proteins. So if you eat meat, building it around the protein. And if you don't, building it around your protein, your egg or your tofu or what have you, or your legumes. The reason I do that is both for simplicity's sake, I I found it to be easiest for me and for others to think of meal ideas around that, whether it's the same ideas every week or different ones. But really the reason I do that is in my clinical practice, the, the macronutrient that I see people underfeed probably the most is their proteins. So when you Mm -hmm. build it around the protein, you are hedging your bets. You are trying to set yourself up for success for hitting your protein marker. Right. Which can be really challenging for a lot of people. Yeah, it's surprising. The only time I haven't, you know, had to worry as much about that was when I was doing the AIP diet where it's like you're basically eating meat and vegetables. So mm-hmm. you really see it's difficult right. to miss the target because that's you're down to it's a pretty it's a smaller list. It's not a small list, but in terms of the different categories of foods you're eating, you have to build it around the protein. And I actually found that works for other folks, too. And it's not that that's the only thing in the meal. You can have whatever meal you want. You can put you can put that protein in pasta. But I have just found that when folks start there they have a tendency to meet their protein goals more often than when folks don't start there. And I think that starting there, also making sure that you're cycling through proteins Mm. is a really important consideration, both for Mm -hmm. micronutrient density and for just avoiding palate fatigue. I think there's a tendency to, because you're making a longer plan, you might end up with a lot of chicken breast and pork chops or things yeah. like that. But making sure you are using different cuts of meat, if you're using meat, different types of meat. And then if you're not using meat, thinking about different legumes that you can throw in, even just cycling between tofu, miso, tempeh, things like that. All of those have different phytonutrients, different micronutrients, and it's going to provide a lot more variety nutritionally and for your palate. Totally. Just to stay on the subject of proteins and meal planning, the next gem that I would want to give people is flavor your proteins in a way that flexes between a couple of your recipes for the week. So let me give you an example. If I have pork chops for the week, I can flavor those and cook them all. Let's say I do a Greek flavoring, Greek seasoning on them. I can then use that Greek seasoned pork chop with multiple, I could have that with mashed potatoes. I could have that with pasta. I could have that right. with rice. So that's what I mean by so a mistake or not even a mistake, but a, a something that makes things more challenging for people when they are first starting to meal plan 
is they flavor things in really specific ways that only work with the one thing that they're eating. So like really strong, really specific, like curry something or like some sort of really specific Asian Szechuan something maybe won't flex as much depending on your what your meal plan looks like it may be but the takeaway here is flavor your proteins in such a way that they uh work or they jive with multiple meals during the week so you can mix and match your proteins with other starches and vegetables and the flavors don't clash so uh, a couple of examples of that i said the example of greek i also really italian seasoning is available everywhere like that's really easy to get your hands on i also just really love Onion powder, garlic powder, salt and pepper. That's, yeah. you know, lemon. If you throw in some lemon in there, that's great. I found that you can leverage coriander and cumin, maybe not as mm. broadly, but coriander and cumin can really like, they can take Flex. you into a Mediterranean meal, into mm. a Indian meal and into more of a Latin American meal very easily with just changing some of the other seasonings that are maybe in the vegetables and the starch. You can have all of those. You can travel to all those cultures with a cumin coriander seasoned protein. It's making me hungry now. Yeah. <laughs> the last one that came to my mind that I found really flexible is like soy sauce, ginger, garlic. Yeah. Something like that, just to give like an uh, that would flex through multiple Asian cuisines or Asian flavor profiles. Yeah. The other thing I think of both specifically with protein and then just in general, looking at flavor bombs and adding flavor into the meals and in general is really focusing on the acid and the umami that's really going to enhance the palatability of the protein and a lot of times umami and acid is a lot more generic in its effect in a meal like you're not going to like just because you use soy sauce as the umami source in your meat does not mean that that chicken won't taste good in like a mediterranean dish it's yeah totally Yeah. And I think with that, uh, one other uh, strategy that I use with meal planning folks is something that I call strategic shortcuts. And that's exactly it. Like your flavor shortcuts, some of them maybe require a little bit of prep on the front end, but they are things that stay good in the fridge for a little while. So things like caramelized onions, right? Or Mm -hmm. preserved lemons, which are super easy to make. Infusing oils with herbs or infusing oils with red onion and then using the onions and the the oil that the onions were infusing in. Those are things that you can toss together. Garlic confit is another one. And again, they flex through multiple flavor profiles. And they are quick and easy boosters of the taste of your food that is going to stay good in your fridge for at least a couple weeks. Definitely. Do you use flavor bombs? Oh, yeah. I actually, there is a food blogger. Her name is Terry. And I don't, I haven't kept up with her in a couple of years, but she runs a food blog called No Crumbs Left. And she calls them, she calls them magic elixirs, I think. And that is where I actually got the idea. Her marinated onions are literally life changing. It's red onion marinated in olive oil and red wine vinegar with a little bit of oregano. And you sit it on your counter for a day. And then you take the onions out and you can use the oil and salad dressing. And then the onions are like perfect. You can use the oil in a dressing or a marinade. It's really good to marinade. And then the onions just go with everything. They're just basically like the lightest pickled onion that you've ever had. And they just work with everything. What other flavor bombs do you use? My top flavor bomb is pesto. Oh, yeah. Um, I use the term pesto liberally because I don't, it's not just basil. Mm -hmm. So basically I'm doing a 
garlic, olive oil, green herb, and some and paste. Yeah. <laughs> paste. And then and if you're doing nuts, some kind of nuts. And definitely if you're doing cheese, you can put Parmesan in there. So you can make those out of any aromatic herb for a pesto, but you can also use just greens to make a more earthy, nutrient-rich pesto that you can use in larger amounts. Yeah. And yeah. That forms a base that you can make literal, you can take it to the strongest degree and make a literal pesto on rice, on whatever starch and meat you're using. But you can also use it as a bomb that adds flavor and green vegetable yep. into any meal. So like cheat meal that I use pesto in is uh, chili mac. So we'll do yeah. meat with a little bit of a chili seasoning and then a couple of frozen pesto bombs and then you put in rice or pasta and a little bit of nutritional yeast or cheese of some kind to make it a little bit cheesy and then the pesto really carries a lot of the flavor and ends up with a little bit of technically you have a green vegetable in the cheese <laughs> yeah the other thing i i think that umami is just king oh, oh. i'm umami 100 percent I'm so a big fan. you can make bombs with if you're doing cheese that makes it really easy <laughs> if you're not doing cheese which there's a lot of us and our clients are not yep. leveraging fish sauce mm -hmm. soy sauce nutritional miso, yeast miso. nutritional yeast uh, porcini mushroom powder another porcini one. mushroom powders are amazing mm -hmm. and then if you do meats i usually mix the mushroom powders in with powderized jerky or the dashi what's it yeah, called dashi yeah dashi which is a little bit of seaweed and dried bonito fish and that that really pops the umami just a little bit more Ooh, wow tomato paste yep. is another great one that boosts the glutamine and can enhance umami and everyday bagel seasoning that's the you um, mean everything bagel seasoning Every, yeah, every, what did oh, I say? Okay. I was like, every day? <laughs> yeah. Yes, I'll take every, bagel seasoning every, every day. day. Ba every day, <laughs> bagel, everything bagel seasoning is also, you can throw that in. Oh, and uh, Worcestershire sauce. Oh, yeah, we're Worcestershire, Worcestershire sauce. Uh, so, so Can't just, say it, you know, but I can use it in a recipe. Constantly be thinking about how to put umami. And when I think about my grandma cooking, that was like, she leveraged umami. And yeah. then a lot on of traditional of already, cuisines too. Cooking with umami more in just her style and the ingredients she used, she still at the end was pouring in some Worcestershire <laughs> sauce to throw the umami over the top. Can so never have too much umami. Yeah. Well, that's the takeaway here, dear listeners. Yeah, that's the takeaway. You can <laughs> never have too much umami. And then acid is the other one that I think, especially in meal planning, for some reason, I don't think there's a reason that meal planners are not putting acids in their food. But I think they're often, intimidating to people sometimes. They're intimidating to people. And it's just something you just don't think about when you're thinking about, okay, what's the fat, carbs, and protein I need mm -hmm. to eat for a healthy meal for the rest of the week. But working with balsamic vinegar, with lemon juice, with things like that, or doing some fermented veggie condiments that you can yeah. buy, or you can make simple things like my go-to first pickle is a... Uh, red onion pickles and, and literally they're ready in an hour yeah um, quick pickle. and it's a quick pickle but it also is great two weeks later and you can use the juice or the onions depending on what kind of meal you're making just to add a little bit of that acidy bite which is really going to help digestibility 
gut health mm-hmm. and just the overall palatability and reducing the risk of palate fatigue that you're getting with these meals. Yeah, it's so bright. Sour flavors are so bright to me. Yeah. All right. The last meal planning gem I want to leave folks with is never underestimate the power of semi-homemade, of strategically using. The example that I always give people is pre-chopped butternut squash. That's always not only is it safer because the that's just dangerous, but it is also if it's going to make the difference between you eating butternut squash or not eating that vegetable, buy the pre-cut butternut squash. I'm a big fan of especially in the beginning, if you are looking to scaffold and you're looking to start meal planning and you're just starting out and you wanting to incorporate one of your priorities is to maybe eat more vegetables, lower the barrier to entry. Lower the barrier to entry. Buy pre-zoodled zoodles. Buy pre-chopped, pre-peeled garlic. Buy, you know, pre-chopped butternut squash. Do they maybe have a slightly lower nutritional value than the ones that you would peel and chop yourself? Yes. But not so much that it outweighs if you were to not eat those in the first weeks. Definitely. And I think another thing that, that I would like to say is do not turn your nose up at frozen veggies. If it's a texture thing, I totally understand. I have sometimes have a hard time with the texture of frozen veggies, but if you're pureeing them, if you're making if you're making a mash or something like that, or if you're putting cheese on them, do not underestimate the power of some frozen veggies in the microwave. Because if it's those veggies or no veggies, I'm going to tell you to do that every single time. Yeah. And that would bring me to my last question is, do you have any strategies that you've found effective over time to prevent some of the nutrient holes that can sometimes prop up, crop up when doing meal planning? Yeah. And that's a really good question. I would say... If someone eats meat, I would say start with at least two different categories in a week, right? If you if two is if you really like chicken or you have you have a limited experience with different stuffs, start with at least two. It's from a protein standpoint. Chicken and steak or chicken and fish, right? Don't forget about fish, people. Fish is great. Yeah, don't forget about fish. Just to interject, I'd say that a weird thing that I've popped up with in some meal planning is sometimes people don't like meal prepped fish as much yes mm-hmm. i have run into that and, as well and so i've i've done with clients where it's like the your fish meal is the fresh meal you eat on mm-hmm. your meal prepping day mm-hmm. so instead yep. of meal prepping fish you might do chicken for three days then you cook some salmon and eat it while you're prepping beef for the next three days that way you're not having to deal with fish or shrimp and for some kind of seafood in the refrigerator and that kind of thing which sometimes doesn't sit well with everyone's palate. I totally agree. And that's a really good clarifying point about fish. So here's what my number one strategy is. It came to my brain. It took me a second to think of it. But what I've had folks do in the past that I've found really successful, and again, it requires a little bit of input of work, is I would say take a piece of paper and at the top of the piece of paper, write out meat or protein, depending on if you eat meat, veggies and starches. And keeping in mind that, of course, starches can be veggies and that actually, honestly, sometimes the best starches are the starchy veggies. But just for the sake of simplicity, meat, veggie, starches. List out all the meats that you like, all the different cuts, all the different types. So it's I like chicken breast, but I don't really like chicken wings. I like chicken thigh. I like uh, salmon, but I don't really like tilapia, et cetera, et cetera, and so on and so forth. Do the same thing with, we'll say starches, and then we'll say maybe say non-starchy veggies. Let's do it that way. So starches can include 
things like potatoes, sweet potato, but they can also include things like bread, pasta, rice. And then your veggies lists out. This is often what I do with folks most often because of our literacy with veggies is not always high because it's not as much of a part of our food culture. List out all the veggies that you like or that you think you would like to try and you might like. And then put that list somewhere on your fridge would be an obvious choice, but wherever you do your meal planning. And then when you go to meal plan, you have basically your sort of template. So you're going to pick and you're going to build around pulling from that list of things that only has things on it that you like or you think you would like. So I'm going to pick, you know, two to three different meats for the week. I'm going to pick three to four veggies for the week. And I'm going to pick maybe one to three different starches for the week. And you can either do it by recipe or you can do it. I want to eat some version of like beef with broccoli with rice. That could be from broccoli. That could be steak and microwave broccoli and cheese, like whatever it looks like. And then you can rotate those. That just makes it really easy to rotate those. If it helps you in your tracking, you can put like a little check mark next to the ones that you had or a little sticker. Or if you do it on a dry erase board, you can, you know, mark it in some way so that you are ensuring that you are rotating not only your proteins, but also your veggies and your, your veggies starches. as well. And don't be afraid to think outside the box with recipes. Thinking, totally. Like looking at, okay, here's a starch and veggie and protein that I want. Put that into a vindaloo if you want, even mm. if you can't find a vindaloo recipe online that is for that particular configuration. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you can say, okay, I'm going to stick with rice as the starch in the vindaloo. That seems appropriate. But then I'm going to use rapini as yeah. a vegetable in it. Yeah. Like it, there's play that can be in that. Yeah. Don't be afraid to riff. There's going to be some trial and error. You might try one or two things that you don't love. But again, I think that's why having people start the list and make the list out of things that they either already like or they think that they would like, or that's a variation on what they already like, broccoli or then broccoli rabe or things like that sets people up for success. And don't underestimate soul food, the, the foods that you grew up with or yes. the foods that give you a warm, fuzzy feeling in the tummy. Mm-hmm. Don't underestimate the power of those in the longevity of your meal plan. So incorporate yeah. those whenever you can. Look at how can they be, how can you make the grandma's chicken and dumplings gluten-free if you're on a gluten-free plan? How can we shift this up to do it? So I think that that's totally. a really important thing to look for and seek for. Yes, I think honoring the the value and the contribution and, and just the comfort value and the alignment of familiar foods, cultural foods is absolutely how people set themselves up for success. Yeah. Totally. All right. Well, this has been the Move Nourish podcast. Thank you for listening. Hopefully you have a takeaway or three uh, that will help you with your meal planning going forward. I'm Alyssa. And I'm Forrest. And we'll talk to you next time. 